show today, the cadre deployment fracas rolls on. The ANC has until today to hand over more records. We'll unpack the ANC's election manifesto. The electricity minister says load shedding is being reduced. Hmm. A week later, the search continues for missing eight-year-old Soldana girl and we'll wrap up the weekend sport. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Madeira Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Weiner. We'll bring you the latest on this cater deployment issue, a new deadline for the ANC uh, to hand over some of the stuff that they didn't already hand over. So we know this is a big election issue. Uh, the ANC also releasing its election manifesto at the weekend. So we'll unpack that one. Uh, and then the electricity minister has been having a briefing saying load shedding has been reduced by 600 hours. So we'll play that and you can let me know what you think about that. But first, we're going to go straight to a briefing underway uh, by the IEC. Sai Mamabolo, the IEC CEO, is giving an update on the state of readiness for the 2024 general elections. We now have a date that has been proclaimed and gazetted. So let's listen in and the sound is courtesy of the SABC. The commission will decide on these objections by the 28th of March. Any person or political party or entity that is not satisfied with the decision of the commission may approach the electoral court to appeal the objection decision. The electoral court's appeals must be lodged by the 2nd of April 2024. The electoral court will determine appeals relating to candidates on 9 April 2024. With all compliance matters and objections relating to candidates resolved, the Commission will publish the final list of candidates on 10 April 2024 and certificates of candidature will be issued to certified candidates on 12 April this year. The conclusion of the candidate nomination process will set in motion the ballot paper printing project. The official list of the 23,292 voting stations to be used in these elections will be availed for inspection on the 12th of April. The list will include the addresses of voting stations as well as stopping points and stopping times of the 33 mobile voting stations that we have in the country. The project of contracting this voting station is well advanced. The electoral scheme also provides a dispensation for voters in special circumstances. Those who are infirm and confined and thus unable to reach voting stations must apply to be visited for a special vote at home. On the other hand, those who will not be in their voting districts on the 29th May 2024 may apply for a special vote to cast ballots ahead of election day. Both home visits and voting station-based special votes will happen on two days, that being the 27th and the 28th of May of this year. 
Applications for special votes will close on the 3rd of May 2024. And now, regarding special votes outside of the country, those who intend to vote outside of the country and who are registered on a specific country segment of the voters' roll do not need to give notice to the CEO that they will be voting in that country. The law assumes that they will be voting at the diplomatic mission of registration. However, those registered elsewhere, including locally registered voters who intend to vote at a particular diplomatic mission outside of the country, must give notice to the CEO of their intention to vote in that country. The notice to vote out of the country may be submitted as of today until the 22nd of April 2024. An online notification facility, what is colloquially referred to as a VEC-10, is available on the Commission's website. So that is the IEC CEO, Simon Mabolo, giving an update there on preparedness for the election, saying that a draft voters' roll, uh, electronic voters' roll, uh, will be published today. Uh, elect, uh, objections must be submitted by the 4th of March, and then, of course, those will be considered. They can go to the uh, electoral court as well. Special votes, he's been speaking about that. That's going to take place on the 27th and the 28th of May, as per usual, um, before election date on the 29th of May. So Simon going through all of that and also we know that there's been an issue around um, voting overseas the DA calling for uh, more voting stations overseas as well so we'll keep an eye on that briefing and we'll bring you any other developments out of that uh, as Simon Mabolo continues 702 the midday report Monday to Friday 12 to 1 p.m. So let's get into more election issues. We will unpack the ANC's election manifesto. Let me know if you watched this weekend what your thoughts are. Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567, what your impressions were. And the other story we are watching that has very much become an election issue is the DA giving the ANC until today to hand over all the outstanding documents relating to cadre deployment as directed by the Constitutional Court. Remember, this happened last week as well. There was a deadline last week, Monday, but the DA is saying that not everything was handed over. And the DA is now threatening to launch a contempt of court application against the ANC Secretary General, Fakile Mbalula. Let's find out more about this with Dr. Leon Schreiber, DA MP. Uh, Dr. Schreiber, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, just explain to us what exactly is this deadline for? Hi, Mandy. It's great to be with you again. Um, So the deadline is, in terms of a letter of demand that we sent to the ANC at the end of last week, after we had an opportunity to scrutinize the 1,300 pages of records that we did receive. And at a press briefing on Friday, DA leader John Stiernosen outlined our findings uh, as it relates to the completeness of the records. And we have found really massive redactions, first of all, which were not allowed in, in terms of the court order. And we have established that no documents, not not only minutes, but none of the WhatsApps and the emails and everything else that we've seen in the records were provided from any period prior to 2018, when President Ramaphosa was the chairman of the committee. So it appears that the ANC has deliberately censored the information to avoid 
any reference to the time when, uh, when, when Ramaphosa was the chairman. And that is very clearly in violation of the court order, which said that records dating back to the 1st of January should be made available. The other issue that we've uncovered um, in going through the, the information is that the ANC claims that a laptop mysteriously crashed at some point in uh, 2021. The big issue for the ANC with that revelation is that this occurred after we had initiated court processes and the ANC therefore withheld this information from the court. And that's going to be very difficult for them to explain uh, in terms of a contempt application. There have been calls by the ANC for the DA to also release its uh, records of CADA deployment. I understand that the Constitutional Court ruling relates to the ANC's records, but is this something that the DA would consider? Well, there's, there's no such thing as a CADA deployment committee in the DA, Mandy. That's the problem. So these records that the ANC has now suddenly uh, discovered a love for, they don't exist. And I know it's very difficult for people to grasp this point in a context where we've become very used to cater deployment, but we've seen lots of misinformation over the past few days, including a letter from 2018 that the ANC has maliciously mistranslated. They've actually uh, translated the Afrikaans word Kieringspanil, which is a selection panel, into the word cater deployment committee. So this is the kind of malicious stuff that's now out there on social media, but the reality is that even if we wanted to, there are no such records because at no point does the DA issue instructions to people in public office with the names of cadres that we want in those positions? There are no WhatsApp groups on cadre deployment. There are no databases as with the ANC. So I'm afraid there's just nothing there. And, and that's the reason why there's nothing to release. And what does the DA make of what Bongali Beloy, the former Midval mayor, has been saying? Because that's also been getting quite a lot of traction on social media. Yes, exactly. Well, I was at an interview yesterday uh, that will be airing later this week where he was asked about this issue very directly and asked whether he was ever told by the DA that a particular person must be employed in the administration. And he conceded that the answer was no. So, I mean, clearly these are people who are disgruntled or trying to opportunistically uh, become part of this conversation. But the reality is that all of the DA's record in government demonstrates respect for selection panel processes, precisely because we understand that that's what the law demands, and also that's how you get the best people into jobs to deliver. And you can see it, the proof is really in the pudding between uh, what, what happens under ANC cater deployment and what happens in DA government. Thank you very much, Dr. Leon Schreiber, DA MP, speaking to us there. Um, we have heard from Rumvula Mokonyani uh, last week on this issue as well. So both sides there and an explanation of what that deadline is for today. This very much is becoming a, a big political football key election issue, this issue of cadre deployment. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So the ANC releasing its election manifesto at the weekend, uh, that event taking place at the Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban. Uh, Tiddy Madia, EWN's Associate Politics Editor, watching all of that for us. Uh, Tiddy, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. A five-year plan to tackle poverty, lots of big promises around job creation, around uh, tax exemptions, uh, all sorts of big promises. Take us through broadly what the ANC election manifesto outlined. Good afternoon, Mandy. I think in a nutshell, the ANC is asking for one more chance to make right to the many things that it's failed to correct over the years. It's asking for an opportunity to deliver on promises it's made in the past. A lot of the 
promises or commitments that are in this particular manifesto, Mandy, you might have heard before, you know, tapping into pensions in order to invest in infrastructure. Energy infrastructure is important for job creation. So is the railway network. So are the roads. So all of those things, logistics, all those issues are issues that we are well aware of. Trying to do more as far as the social relief grant is concerned, progressively moving towards the basic income grant. Our conversations we've heard in the past, um, the issues about moving the the um, refugee centers as well as deportation centers closer to the border, tightening what happens as far as illegal immigration is concerned, um, an integrated system to do with crime. A lot of these are ideas we've heard before. So the NC saying they're trying to give more meat to the ideas, trying to continue with these, that they can't give you new ideas. This is it, really. And they're asking for a chance in order to implement these ideas over the next five years. What, what do you make of the National Youth Service idea that has been put forward? I don't necessarily think that's a new idea per se as well. It's no. one that's been punted back and forth for a while. I think my struggle with it is because that's where the key lies in essence to the 2.5 million jobs. It's in part where it kind of lies towards resolving the issue of employment. I, I think the NC for me is struggling to find the solutions to many, many problems, Mandy. And it's looking to what's possible um, to address the many challenges that we're facing, particularly, obviously, the issue of a frustrated and unemployed youth. What did you make of the um, the ANC machine um, filling Moses Mabida Stadium? There were lots of expectations around that. We know the ANC election machine kicks into gear. Um, how did the optics look? This this phase of their campaign is called Maitome. Uh, it's a battle call, a rallying call uh, for their supporters to go to war, defend the party, obviously, at the polls. And I think they did it successfully. I think by Monday last week, we already knew. They've been there for maybe 10 days in the lead up to this event, some of the leaders. And you saw at every mini rally, at every mini gathering, there was pandemonium. So much excitement to see the ANC. I said to you last week, the ANC has a tendency to close rank when it feels threatened. So I do think that the MK party has kind of helped the ANC with its unity project, or at least the optics of it all. So, Mandy, the stadiumology question, because I don't know why it's still affecting 2024 but filling up a stadium is something that you know that the ANC is capable of the show of force is something that is part of the psychological warfare around elections and we knew they would achieve that I think what matters is what they do in the days leading up to their Sangoba rally in terms of that electioneering machine kicking into gear and capturing the imagination of South Africans South Africans mind you are frustrated about the quality of life at the moment and looking to the different political parties for what's next and what can make things better uh, going forward. Tiri Media, Associate Politics Editor at EWN, thank you very much for that analysis on the ANC's election manifesto. So have a listen to what the ANC's president, Sir Ramaphosa, had to say about how only the ANC can take the country forward. It is only the ANC that has the experience of governance. It is only the ANC that has the talent it is only the ANC that has the capacity to take this country forward. The African National Congress has that ability. And it is this that our people are going to declare, without any doubt, on the 29th of May in 2024. So that's the ANC President, Sir Ramaphosa, at the ANC's election manifesto launch at the weekend. 
What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Afternoon, Mandy. It's Heidi here. I get the idea that the ANC likes to take credit for this ordinary South Africans' tenacity to grow the economy. We all know the ANC stole all the money, and it's the South Africans that keep the economy running, not them. Hi, Mandy. This is Sidula Tsutsumane. Mandy, this Akeda deployment thing, um, I think almost all, all parties are exercising that, you know, when they deploy the the uh, members. Uh, the only difference could be that uh, the DA sends people who are fit for purpose, you know, in municipalities and so on and so forth. Uh, we shouldn't shy away from the fact that this thing is killing our municipalities and service delivery. Thank you very much. I really do think this is going to be an even bigger issue going into the elections around meritocracy and whether or not um, whatever political party it is can field um, candidates that are truly capable, not just there for political reasons. And that's the DA's argument. The ANC is saying, well, the DA is also responsible. It also does cater deployment. So I expect this to be a big issue as we go back into the elections. Good day, uh, Mandy. It's Norman in Pretoria. I think the DA is well within its rights to ask the ANC's SG, Freedom Balula, to submit all the records of their deployment. It is quite sinister for the ANC. I've looked into their 1,177 pages. Some of these pages have been blanked out, of course, for arguable reasons. But when I looked at those meeting uh, minutes, there's no way Ramaphosa appears. I don't know why people are protecting Ramaphosa and for what uh, apparent reason. So they should release those minutes where Sir Ramaphosa was in the meeting because it, it can't be that he's not there. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. The Minister in the Presidency responsible for electricity, Dr. Josienzo Ramachopa, has been having a briefing on the implementation of the Energy Action Plan. So one of these regular briefings giving us an update on rolling blackouts. And uh, what Ramachopa is saying is that uh, they've managed to reduce load shedding by 600 hours and that they are heading in the right direction. Have a listen. So if you were to, to, were to take uh, December of 2022, um, uh, to February of uh, 2023. And then you also took, uh, take uh, uh, the, the period of uh, December 2023 uh, to February of 2024. What is it that we have experienced? Is that uh, the period of uh, December and of, uh, of uh, the, the year that was, we have uh, experienced load shedding hours of uh, about 1,800 hours of load shedding. And um, when you see the period the year later, what we are experiencing uh, really is that uh, I'm, I'm just saying the period of uh, the December 2022-2023, December 2023-2024, we have uh, had uh, about 1,200 hours of load shedding. So essentially, we have been able to reduce uh, the hours of load shedding by about 600 hours. So what's the point I'm making? That we are going in the right direction. Ultimately, we want to get to a situation where I'm able to stand before the public and say, we have not experienced any hours of load shedding. And in fact, you will not need any account from me because we will be experiencing it at home. We are heading in the right direction, so says the Electricity Minister. What are your thoughts on that? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702.
just a comment man this thing Ramaphosa saying they're the only party with experience I'm just thinking do you have to consider someone imagine person working has got experience doing wrong things for a long time they're the best or should you try something new because for me if you have got experience if you say experience of doing good thing then you should put that as a plus but I don't think they should consider it as a plus but that's my view thanks Hi, Mandy. Good afternoon. This is Stanley from Kahiso. I think uh, the president of ANC, it's one thing that he omitted on that speech when he said the ANC is the only party that can do all that he had mentioned. It's one thing that he omitted, that the ANC is the only party that can really corrupt yeah good afternoon good afternoon dumela thank you very much for the whatsapp voice notes look i think there's a lot of cynicism when it comes to the anc and when uh, president ramaphosa ramaphosa says we're the only party that can do this i think you have to look at the track record right so listen to this uh, whatsapp voice note uh hi mandy translation of the president's comments vote for us because we are the only ones who can fix what we have broken thank you um from hasmok and mondio and this is it right you have to look at the track record do you believe what politicians say or do you look at the evidence 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. In the Supreme Court of Appeal, a matter being heard around the issue of corporal punishment in 2024. So Section 27 in the Centre for Child Law taking the South African Council of Educators uh, to the SEA in a bid to secure harsher sanctions for two primary teachers who pleaded guilty to using corporal punishment in the classroom. Let's have a look at this with Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter. Uh, Bernadette, just tell us uh, briefly how exactly this landed up in the SEA. Sure. So the case at its heart revolves around um, two incidents with two teachers at two different schools. The one involved a then seven-year-old boy and the other involved a then 10-year-old girl. And it does sound like the corporal punishment that was meted out, while any form of corporal punishment is completely outlawed in South African schools, was particularly horrendous. Um, The seven-year-old boy had to be hospitalized after he was hit in the head with a PVC pipe and the 10-year-old girl was apparently left bleeding from her ears after she was slapped and beaten by her teacher. So it was quite a difficult process just getting these complaints to be heard and Section 27 and the Centre for Child Law actually had to get involved and help advocate on the parents' and the children's behalf. It was eventually heard by SACE and the sanctions meted out were what these organizations have called shockingly lenient. These teachers were essentially fined 10,000 rand each. Um, and they were then, their names were removed from the role of educated educators, but on a suspended basis. So that was only in the event that they were to commit another form of misconduct over a 10-year period. Otherwise, they were completely able to just go back to school without any sort of rehabilitative uh, measures put in place, any kind of training or anything like that. So... What um, the Centre for Child Law and Section 27 want is for this matter to be sent back to SACE for them to consider it afresh. When they were in the High Court, um, the case was dismissed uh, with the High Court finding that there'd been an unreasonable delay in bringing it. So they're now appealing that decision in the SCA and that's essentially what they're doing today. So ultimately, the intention then is for them to actually, I imagine, change the law around what kind of penalties there could be or sanctions there could be so that it's not so lenient. Absolutely. So 
Um, what SESA said in court is that it was abiding by its sanctions policy at the time. It says it has since amended its sanctions policy, um, but that this was completely in line with the rules as they were at the time. Um, and what what the High Court did order when it dismissed the case, it did order that th- that sanctioning policy must be revised going forward. But essentially, it still leaves this case and these teachers and these children in the lurch, according to the Centre for Child Law. Bernadette, thank you very much. Bernadette Wicks having a look at that case that's in the Supreme Court of Appeal at Section 27 in the Centre for Child Law taking on uh, SACE, which is the South African Council of Educators on this matter relating uh, to corporal punishment, looking to have the sanction for corporal punishment to be made more serious. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Let's stay in the courts now and the rape trial of the Rivers of Living Waters church leader, Bishop Stephen Zondo, resuming in the High Court in Pretoria. Zondo appearing on multiple charges of rape, indecent assault and defeating the ends of justice. Last week, Zondo's lawyer attempting to discredit a report by an expert witness, Dr. Gerard Labaskakni, as being irrelevant. So let's find out where we are today. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter. Khamotso, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Tell us about what's happened in court today. Good afternoon, Mandy. So Dr. Rabuskakhni is actually continuing with his testimony today. Um, the defense really failing to stop that, uh, that report um, being led in court. And so uh, he has been going through it, really just citing what qualifies as religious abuse. And uh, we heard the state currently really questioning him on a number of allegations that were made by the victims here. And I think one of the really shocking ones, I mean, there's a number of them and many of them are shocking. And there seems to be uh, some sort of a pattern in how the abuse here, the alleged abuse, I should say, um, was conducted. Many of the um, victims speaking about how they were invited for prayer, Mandy, by uh, the uh, uh, bishop into his office. And uh, they went there seeking help. You know, we've just heard, um, you know, one of the reports uh, from one of the victims who spoke about how she went to the pastor to ask for prayer for her marriage. And mid-prayer, uh, the pastor then changed the prayer uh, that God must increase her sexual desires for him. And uh, after he uttered those words, he then made move on her and then started the, um, the abuse. And uh, she's spoken about how before she could even, you know, uh, uh, contest and push him away, he'd already put his genitals in her mouth. And so that is being uh, led currently in court. And all those reports from the victims are being presented to Dr. Labuskakni, who's been commenting on whether or not that qualifies as religious abuse. Khamoto, we really are hearing graphic details in, in this matter. Um, uh, just, just the extent of, of this abuse is, is so harrowing, so, so disgusting. Uh, what is the reaction like by, by church members who, who may be there listening? You know, Mandy, it's very interesting that, you know, the uh, Bishop Zondo has large, large support. I mean, last week he had men in suits that were really stationed like an army behind him in court, really sitting right behind him, very neatly in the rows there, in uniform. They all had badges from the Rivers of Living Water Church, and they sat behind him, and you could see the support. This week, however, there are fewer members, but there are members here in court. They're all wearing Rivers of Living Water T-shirts, and they all seem very unfazed. 
by the allegations made here. You know, you would imagine that church members who support and, you know, who, who believe that this is a man of God would gasp and be shocked when these details are being heard in court. But it's really, really just expressionless faces in court, even from the bishop himself, Mandy. I mean, he sits in court really just listening, and from time to time he will raise his eyebrows. But more than anything, he just keeps a really blank there as all these allegations are being made about him. Humoto, thank you very much. Uh, Humoto Modise, EWN reporter in court for us following the rape trial of the Rivers of Living Waters church leader, Bishop Stephen Zondo. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. I'm actually surprised that the DA is uh, um, um, denying that it does cater deployment. It does it in a different way than the ANC, not through a committee, but through people, influential people. I know one one of the people that they did, uh, they appointed to their investment machinery in the Western Cape is their f- former MP. I forgot the, 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 the guy's name. He was, he was the shadow minister of finance. So now he's the head of the investment corporation of the Western Cape. So that's catered deployment, isn't it? Afternoon, Mandy. Yes, I think the Minister of Electricity is right. They are in the dire- right direction to destroy our country. Yes, to kill this uh, South Africa, to tell people lies, fill up the stadiums, to tell people lies. Yes, they are in the right direction. I agree with them. Thank you. How can you tell we're in election season? Well, everyone's got an opinion. I think this issue of catered deployment definitely is is going to be a big election issue. But also people just generally don't believe politicians when they tell you things, right? And you can see this. doesn't matter what political party it is. People, um, people are learning. You need a bucket of salt when you listen to a politician. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. You uh, may have heard the story in EWN about unemployed healthcare workers under the banner of the South African Medical Trade Union, SAMTU, marching to the union buildings in Pretoria today. Uh, that march is uh, regarding the many unemployed healthcare workers in the country, very concerned about large numbers of healthcare workers who've been trained, but they cannot find employment. Uh, so, in other words, doctors, healthcare workers, nurses uh, who are qualified, but they can't get employment because they're simply not the budget to be employed. So that's uh, uh, happening at the moment. Uh, the marches converging on the corner of Madiba and Josimampuro streets in Pretoria Central and marching to the union buildings. So Twani Metro Police are following that one for us. We are hoping to speak to uh, Mongezi Koko, who is on the line for us now, EWN reporter. Mongezi, good afternoon to you. Tell us about uh, this march. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, it was quite a lengthy march. The protesters traveled from the Pretoria CBD to the union buildings, covering around about 3.7 kilometers. Now, what you need to note is that they were bearing a memorandum of demands contained within those demands are some, you know, some um, demands that one could label as, as normal demands. For instance, they're calling for annual salary increases, which they claim were promised to them several years ago. They're also calling for their salary increases that were promised to them to be back paid. So for previous years that were missed. And of course, they're asking for training opportunities to be provided to new doctors. And most importantly, Mandy, what they're asking 
from the president is that he ensures interning doctors, so doctors that are currently serving their comms, that they are absorbed into the public health care facilities, well, facilities across the country. Now, what they're also saying is that it's not just doctors who currently find themselves in predicaments of unemployment. It includes pharmacists, dietitians, nurses, and the list goes on and on. And also another important thing to note, Mandy, is that this is the first time that we've seen a number of dietitians gathering and banding up together to bring forward their issues. Now, what they're raising is that they are being treated like stepchildren. They say that they're being pushed into the private sector where opportunities are limited because they can only get clients once they get referrals from actual doctors. So a number of issues coming to light as they march here to the union buildings. Now, they did hand over the memorandum of demands, which was accepted by Philemon Masangu, who's a representative of the presidency. He took it in. However, he made quite the mistake here, Mandy. He called the Minister of Health, Dr. Aaron Motswaledi, which did send the crowd into a little bit of a frenzy, but they did move on from that with a memorandum accepted and with some to the union that represents medical workers and, of course, the protesting healthcare workers calling for President Ramaphosa to sign the memorandum into effect by seven days. So they give him seven days. He has until next week, Monday, to respond, or they're going to down tools and take to the streets once more. Mongezi, thank you very much. Uh, Mongezi Koko, EWN reporter. Faux pas there by the presidency, because, of course, Joe Pachla, Dr. Joe Pachla, is the Minister of Health, of Health Dr. Aaron Motsuledi, is the former. Uh, so um, interesting uh, little, little faux pas there. Um, but a, a very important point here being made by these medical practitioners that uh, they're qualified and yet Yet they cannot get employment when we have an NHI looming where we are going to need all the capacity we can get. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. A week after going missing, the search intensifying for a six-year-old girl from Saldana Bay on the Cape West Coast. Jocelyn Smith's mother reported her missing after returning from work. She couldn't find her. The grade one learner has been missing since Monday last week. She was left in the care of her mother's boyfriend. Let's get an update on the search with the Western Cape MEC for Community Safety and Police Oversight, Regan Allen. MEC, good afternoon to you. Thank you for making time to speak to us. What is the latest in the search for Jocelyn Smith? Mandy, thank you so much for bringing us into this difficult conversation. The disappearance of Jocelyn is definitely heartbreaking and devastating, and one cannot even fathom how painful it must be for her family. But I can confirm that the search is currently ongoing. A 20,000 rand reward has also been posted by the municipality for any information that leads to her whereabouts. And I can confirm that a full search is ongoing. It's inclusive of aerial support. It's inclusive of so many community organizations also working with the SEPs, with Saldana Bay local municipality as well. But also important, what I have taken up with the district commissioner is to ensure that every lead and piece of intelligence should be followed up by the South African Police Service. I had a conversation with Andre Truter, who is also the executive mayor for Saldana Bay just yesterday again, and he confirmed that we are seeing so many of our community um, organizations, NPOs, all um, joining in to ultimately um, bring the safe return mm. in the hope that um, she won't become 
a statistic um, and that you will ultimately be be found alive but it's a yeah. um, it's a heartbreaking um, situation MEC, we are speaking about about Jocelyn Smith uh, who is one a uh, little girl who's gone missing. Unfortunately, this happens far too often, uh, specifically in, in the Western Cape with uh, young young children going missing, um, unfortunately, mm. in many instances, being murdered as well. Uh, how much of a concern is this to you as the Community Safety MEC? Um, Mandy, it's, it's a big concern. Um, I can further confirm that when I visited Mia Bota, and that particular name reverberates not only through the Western Cape, but through the entire country, because it was over 500 days ago when she disappeared in the area of Paul. Um, last week, I visited the family to provide another update with the South African Police Service, considering that we are searching for two individuals in that particular case that might shed light um, on what happened to her. Um, she was eventually found after three days of, of going missing. And like I've indicated, it happens too often uh, because even if it happens one, uh, from my point of view, um, it will be one too many, um, considering that you don't even need to be a father, Mandy. You don't need to be a, a brother to someone. Just as a human being, uh, we definitely know that we would never want um, any of our young children to be murdered, um, to be kidnapped, and um, ultimately um, leave an entire community together with their loved ones. Mm. Um, very um, traumatized, but it's, um, it's a concern and outbreak. MEC, thank you very much. Uh, Western Cape MEC for Community Safety and Police Oversight, Regan Allen, speaking to us there about the search for Justin Smith and just broadly um, this very, very concerning situation with children being uh, either missing or being murdered in the Western Cape. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. On 702 and Cape Talk. Hello, Mindy. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm down with Kiza Chiefs. Even the chairman at one point said to us, there's other teams that we can choose from. Um, so I'm, I'm finally hitting the call. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm from Pretoria. So I'm going to go with Sundowns. It's, it's, yeah, I'm done. As clear. Listen, just when you thought it couldn't get worse for Kaiser Chiefs fans. I, maybe you're a plastic fan, hey? If you're not going to support them through thick and thin. But it's only, it's only thin. It's only yeah, thing. good afternoon, Mandy. I fully understand him. Uh, and I think if you care about your health at the moment, I don't think you want Sanity. to be supporting. Yeah, and that you don't want to be supporting Kaiser Chiefs. And uh, how, how, how do you explain that situation? And, and for people who missed it, yeah. just explain what happened in the Dead Bank well, Cup. It's, it's almost impossible to. I, I've tried very hard to, to find the words to explain how Kaiser Chiefs lost that game. Uh, because for large uh, patches of the game you know it was quite I can't even remember who they were playing what is the name <laughs> of the club Milford FC and I don't blame you for not where, no. where well, who are they uh, they are a club that was bought by uh, they used to be known as Utongati from KZN uh, and then they were bought out last year didn't exist this time last year uh, and are still uh, fighting relegation in the Motsepe Foundation Championship um, and yeah you could tell which side was the lower league side in that match 
However, just Kaiser Chiefs could not score, could not make it happen. There were a number of chances that they missed. Also had a penalty uh, in extra time that they missed as well and ended up losing in a penalty shootout. Now, a lot of people are talking about how Milford were very defensive in the game and you can't blame them at all. Their best chance of winning that game was taking Kaiser Chiefs to uh, a penalty shootout. And um, yeah, Chiefs have only themselves to blame. Should have made it happen much earlier in the game and they find themselves out. And I think it's arguably their biggest loss in the history of the club. Mm. Um, so Liverpool celebrating a trophy. Jurgen Klopp has said that it's the most special trophy that he's won at Liverpool. Yeah, I, I do understand that some, somewhat, but I do think it's also a bit of an exaggeration. I don't think he's going to trade the Champions League that he won a few seasons ago for that uh, Carabao Cup. But I think um, in the sense of uh, what a character winning, character-defining win it was uh, for the fact that, what, uh, I think it was eight or nine frontline players. It was basically an academy side. And it was, yeah, a very young side that ended up uh, being chosen for the game and considering as well that the Chelsea side cost more than a billion pounds to assemble uh, the victory for Liverpool was a very very big one and it's also been funny having seen Liverpool fans and the like as well celebrating the Carabao Cup how the Carabao Cup is considered a big trophy when Liverpool win it however when it was Man United last season and other teams so shady. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the case but yeah congratulations to Liverpool for picking up some silverware uh, such heartbreak for Italy and the Six Nations there's so much controversy around that last kick I just wanted them yeah. To win with the shot clock, yeah. Mm. Um, Italy ended up drawing uh, 13 all with France, uh, and it's one of those things. Um, Italy is one of those sides you sort of root for because you can see the effort behind how they play. There's a determination and there's a will to want if to you, do. If well. you, I know I speak about this a lot, but if you yeah. watch the Netflix series on the Six Nations and they go into the whole story about Italy, yeah. then I think that makes you more sympathetic. Yeah, definitely. And they're always constantly punching above their weight and you just wanted a win for them this time around. Uh, and Paolo Garbisi, who ended up missing that kick um, and it ended up being a draw, was very uh, emotive and he, he, he apologised to Italian people for not making it happen for them, for not making history and creating that bit of history for uh, his nation. Um, however, you do understand it and you, you're almost like, well, next time. Uh, and you just hope that Italy can build from some, something from here. But I think um, the most stunning uh, result over the weekend for me was Scotland's win over England. Uh, and they're also mm. a side where you're like, okay, cool, you guys are doing something really yeah. cool. Hope you can c- sustain it uh, and go on and do great things uh, going forward. Very quickly, how did the Blitzbox do? Ended up ninth in Vancouver. Ooh. A little worrying, especially considering that um, we have the Olympic qualifiers in June that we have to play in. And Canada and Great Britain are in those qualifiers as well, have to win it. And Great Britain were one of the sides that we ended up losing to over the weekend. So you're a little worried whether the Bliss Box will be able to qualify for the Olympics. I am at the moment. Well, that's a bit scary. Mawande, thank you very much. Mawande Mateza, EWN Sports Reporter, wrapping up the weekend sport. The Midday Report. Thank you very much for joining us. So we have yet another deadline for the ANC to meet, uh, to hand over outstanding documents relating to CADA deployment as directed by the Constitutional Court. Or we could see a contempt of court criminal case being opened against Fakile Mbalula. Interesting times, South Africa.